One of the all-time favourites for Christmas time, right? Silent night. Thank you, guys. Thank you for leading us. Son of Righteousness from Malachi chapter 4. As we are on the verge of Christmas, I, I like to go back. I've done this a few times already. I like to just flip the page back a little bit before Matthew. At one of my favourite descriptions of Jesus in the Old Testament. The Son of Righteousness. Uh, another name for Son of God. Jesus Christ. In other words, the Son of Righteousness is the S-O-N, the Son of Righteousness. Let's look back at a little bit of what it would have been like 2,000 years ago. The prophet Malachi lived about 430 years before Christ was born. It was a time when the Israelites were were tired of how things were working out. We might call it the injustice of it all. It just wasn't fair. The wicked were prospering while those who were doing the right thing struggled to make sense of it all. So God sent Malachi to assure his people that in time, he will indeed punish the wicked. But before you, you hurry and all start calling for God's justice, make sure that you yourselves are not among those who are doing wicked things, but you continue to love righteousness, to continue to live God's way, rather than, ah. Oh, throw your hands up in the air and start doing what everybody else is doing. As God's children, you are to swim against the stream. You are to live differently than what the rest of the world is doing. Now remember that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for also 400 years. And finally they cried out to God for help and he heard their cry and With his power, he delivered them through Moses. Some 400 years later, 1400 years later, the Roman Empire was the empire in control. They had amassed vast wealth and territories throughout the the civilized world. In any conquered territory, the people were subjects, they had to pay taxes. They had to obey. They were in prison. They were killed. There was no justice. They were governed by officers appointed by Rome. And on the night before Christmas, they were were a people who had gone 400 years with a silence from heaven, just like the Israelites in Egypt for 400 years. The silence from heaven. For a people who had been accustomed to hearing from the Lord, servant after servant, from prophets, the greats like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Daniel, 
They proclaimed the message of God Almighty faithfully through evil, terrible circumstances they continued. But then this silence from heaven must have been absolutely deafening. What is God doing? Why isn't he doing something about this? Some translators of the Old Testament were so concerned with the way that the the message of Malachi ended and therefore the message of the Old Testament ended that it that they actually swapped the verses around so that it ended in a more hopeful, positive note. Yet the Messiah had not yet come. But the silence will not be forever. Something will happen in God's time and all they had to go on was the promise, to trust God's promise that God will do something. They just had no idea how long it's going to take. We live in a day that, in many ways, God appears to be silent. We are so expectant for the supernatural to break through and to soften the hardened hearts of these people that just seem to be willingly going to hell in a handbasket. But God is not silent, just the mere fact that you are here as you're listening to me, hopefully it's not me you're listening to, but you are listening to, through me, God speaking to you and to your hearts through his word, through his Holy Spirit. God is here. But I know that the, the godly, those who are believers, feel increasingly oppressed and unsettled with all the changes in this crazy world. What a couple of years we've had, right? The different attitudes towards, you know, do we stay in, do we go out? Some people have lost their jobs. Do we get vaxxed? Do we not get vaxxed? It's divided families, divided churches. People are here. A lot of people are still at home. They don't want to come out. And this is what the believers were saying in Malachi's day. This is the believers themselves. We're not talking about non-believers. We're talking about believers in Malachi chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. You have said, so Malachi is quoting them. He's saying, you have said, it is futile to serve God. What's the point? What, what do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like, like mourners before the Lord Almighty? You know, we come to church and we're so boring. When is it going to be over? This is what they were saying then. We're carrying out like mourners. It's going to church is like going to a funeral. The world is so much more exciting. Look at them. But now, on top of that, we call the arrogant blessed. The arrogant. Blessed, certainly the evildoers prosper and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. They blaspheme God. They say all these things to God and God is a four-letter word, a three-letter word and there's Jesus and you know what it sounds like. The arrogant. 
In our text, God describes the wicked as those who were arrogant. A description that appears often, the word arrogant actually appears often in the book of Malachi. The wicked are loud, they're obnoxious, they're everywhere, and they seek to silence the believers. Here we are again on the brink of another Christmas. But let's not be Christ. Put Christ into Christmas, shall we? Every year there is increasing efforts to keep Jesus out of Christmas. And it feels like despite all the wealth and all the trappings of success that we see every day, comfortable life and relative peace, we actually are seeing an increasing evidence of the judgment on the land because we are walking away from God's righteous decrees. What are God's righteous decrees? In verse 4 it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. These decrees from Israel through Christianity to the civilised West and the world. We used to know what male was male and female was female. We knew that marriage was between a man and a woman. This was right. This was God's design for the family for society, for the rest. And now we've got men competing in women's sports and winning races and we're saying, what's going on? Isn't anybody going to do something about this? Well, God is saying, well, you want to do things your way? Do it. This is judgment. This is judgment on the land. And we're seeing a pandemic. Are we seeing people coming back to God? Well, no, just, just trust the vaccine, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just get vaccinated, it'll be good. Just wear a mask. Oh, don't say it's God's judgment. Don't say that. Can't say that. People get offended if you say that. Guys, we've got to wake up. This is, you know... Just got an email from one of our workers in a certain country in Africa. Just a home ransacked because of what he was preaching out in the opening. He was trying to evangelise. He's a level three sowers. Just gone through training. Went out there to share the gospel. They get offended. They come and ransacked his house. Then they went and burnt the Baptist church down the road for good measure. This is this week. Guys, there has to be a... Remember what Jesus said? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need to be hungry for righteousness. And this is where the the sun comes in, verse 2. But for you who revere my name, for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise. Uh, and let's, let's talk a little bit about the Son. With all the current discussion about health and the environment, it's unfortunate that the Son is getting such a bad rap. And uh, it hasn't helped the fact that people have been locked up, they haven't been exposed to the Son all that much. But it's actually 
It's a wonderful thing to expose your skin to the sun. It's God's natural healing. This wonderful star of ours, which puts on a show every sunrise and every sunset, that gives us light and heat, a welcome sight after all the rain we've had, is now seen as a threat. We're told that it kills through dehydration, causes wrinkles and cancer, and it's melting the ice caps. 93 million miles from the earth. The temperature inside, in its core, is 15 million degrees Celsius. While on the surface it drops substantially, to a cool 6,000 degrees Celsius. And by the time it travels 93, each ray travels 93 million miles, it drops to 23, 33, 43. But it's still pretty good, right? It's not 6,000 degrees. And God planned it that way. And just the tilt, just the tilt between, and the, is between summer and winter, just the, the little, it's a bit, a little tweak that accidentally. Right? And we get our seasons. God did it that way. Is it raining? Uh, sorry, folks. All right. Thank you. <laughs> the sun, you see, important for plant production. The process that God has put together consumes um, the bad stuff, produces the good stuff, like oxygen. God designed the sun to be the centre of our solar system. And unfortunately, those who are not believers actually start, started worshipping. Many people worship the sun like a god. But why not worship the one who made it in the first place? He chose to make himself known to us on Christmas Day. The son of righteousness. And look what it says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The son is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Everything that was made has been made through him. Him who set the sun at the temperature of 15 million degrees Celsius at the core of the sun. And yet, by the time he came to earth and was born in a stable, he was a little baby. Right? Just think about how awesome that is. And we could see the sun of the radiance is the radiance of God's glory because it was reduced, it was, it was a representation that we could 
come close to that we could look at. We beheld His glory. But it didn't consume us. We beheld His glory because it was God incarnate in the Son. And the Son of Righteousness, the Son of Righteousness will rise. God promises that as as sure as the sun rises every morning, the Son of Righteousness will shine on us. And yes, that word righteousness is a very big word in the Bible. And it simply means it's God's perfect standard that he has set between what is right and what is wrong. In Jesus, God's righteousness is personified. If you ever want to know what righteousness looked like, look at Jesus. And Malachi was announcing the day when the Lord of righteousness will be in full view, just like, in shining, just like the shining sun in all its brightness, in all its blessedness. He wasn't the only one. Remember these words from Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. And then in verse 7, he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. But not everyone is going to be happy, right? Malachi goes on to tell us that Christ's coming, the Messiah's coming, will be great for some, but it will be terrifying for others. And, And in looking at the text before us, someone put it this way. The sun of righteousness will rise to burn the arrogant and to warm the reverent. To burn the arrogant and to warm the reverent. Don't ever make arrogance a virtue that we seek as Christians. Humility is to be your virtue, not arrogance. It's a dirty word. Don't be like the arrogant. Don't be like the ones, the influencers and others on on social media. Don't be like them who, you know, run along like the it. No. Humility, humility, humility is to be what we are to be dressed with. Clothe yourself in humility. Now, this is the verdict. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people, what happened? Love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds are going to be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. If you do the right thing, if you live by God's standards, you don't need to hide. You don't need to run. You are glad for the truth to come out. Verse 1, judgment. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogance and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming, will be set on fire. will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But it certainly doesn't appear very, doesn't look very threatening to look at a baby and think that this, this coming day of judgment is near. You look at the words of Malachi and look at the, the baby in a manger and you say, 
that I didn't see that coming. Right? And some aspects, I suppose, of the Christmas story are uncomfortable yet very real. Consider what Herod did when he heard the news of the new king. Put yourself in the position of a mother who has just had his baby boy, her baby boy slaughtered by a jealous king. And some questions might be asked. Would you blame Herod? Or would you blame the baby who was born? Would you blame God who sent him in the first place? Why couldn't God send him to another town? Somewhere else? Where there were no other baby boys to be slaughtered? Why didn't God protect these innocent children like he protected his own by sending him to Egypt and warning him? Why didn't he warn the others? By today's standards, I can already see the headlines in the papers and in Facebook and all that. Birth of boy results in innocence killed. Right? Isn't that what he will say? How dare God do that? But Jesus himself declared that he had come into the world for judgment. And this is what he said. John 9.39 For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now that's not very nice. That's what he came for. But I, I, I thought that Jesus came to save the lost. Yes, but the word for judgment means to sort out, as in determining the true from the false, between the sheep and the goats. Jesus has come to bring this differentiating judgment or discernment so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Well, is that, how is that fair? Well, you might not think it's fair, but the greatest judgment, remember that the greatest judgment was on the head of his very own son, the son of righteousness. The wrath of God fell on the only perfect one, on Jesus. And this is what Jesus did for us by dying on a cross. So even as you contemplate the baby in a manger, consider the death sentence that was already on his head. And as we do that, consider the death sentence on our own lives. Like I said last week, we're not getting out of here alive, guys. Stop dreaming and thinking like you are. Make every day count, every moment. Live righteously. What hope would we have if Jesus had never been born? How do unbelievers live? What would be the reason for living this life? For those who are now born into the kingdom of God, Christmas means so much more. Unbelievers, you stand condemned. And 
And what is the crime? What crime have they committed? Well, rejecting the grace of God and refusing to receive his merciful gift of salvation. That is what you've done. But for those of us who do believe, things are different. There is hope. The sun of righteousness will rise. It will rise. One of the things that occurs each and every day with incredible precision is the regularity of the rising sun. When someone is going through a difficult time, what do we say? We say to them, uh, tomorrow is a new day. Or don't worry, the sun will rise again. That's the regularity. What we're trying to do is encourage, to give them hope, to not give up, because tomorrow is a new day and a chance for a new beginning. My friends, one of the essential elements, one of the, the things that God has given us when he created us in his image is this aspect of, of, of hope, of hope. Despite the 400 years silence from heaven, the Jews continued with hopeful, and hopeful anticipation that the, the, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, will, would come to deliver them from oppression. They continue to hope and believe in the promises of God that he will send the Messiah to set things right. They knew that, they hoped for that, and when God did it, they didn't grasp it. Just like John says, he came to his own and his own did not recognise him. They didn't receive him. Do we still have the hope or have we really have it so good that the only hope we have for is, I don't know, retirement? You know, home in the, the farm next to a river. That's my hope. This side of heaven anyway. Hope. Have we still got hope? Or have we got it so good that our hopes are limited to, to, this, to this world, to this earth? A number of years ago, researchers performed an experiment to see the effect hope has on those who are undergoing hardship. So, two sets of lab rats were placed in separate tubs of water. Right? The researchers left one set in the water and found that within an hour, they had all drowned. All the rats had drowned. The other rats were periodically lifted out of the water and then returned. When that happened, the second set of rats swam for over 24 hours. Why? Not because they were given rest, but because they suddenly had hope. Those animals somehow hoped that if they could stay afloat just a little bit longer, someone would reach down and and at least give them a little bit of a breather before they're put back in the water. And that help them to keep going. Now, if hope holds such power over rats or rodents, how much greater should it affect our lives? Don't, don't accept this culture of death that we have been absorbed in. Abortion right up to full term. Euthanasia. It's here. It's coming, Right? It's a culture of death. 
And, 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 and what about us that are in between? Well, if that is all there is, well, what's the point? You know, might as well just end it now. Where's the hope? Where's the hope? I'll tell you one thing, that in poor countries there's no, no such thing as abortion or euthanasia. They respect life too much to be even thinking about those things. Don't accept the culture of death. And one of the greatest messages we take out of Christmas is the gift of hope, which God gives us to all of us who believe in the Son. Healing and release. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Like I said before on the subject of healing from the sun, while the sun can cause cancer, it is also essential for our healing, vitamin D, which forms in the skin when it's exposed to sunlight. Melanin, which is triggered, and and some of our African brothers and sisters are blessed with a lot of melanin. They don't need to wear a lot of sunscreen when they're out in the pool. But for the rest of us, we need to cover ourselves. But we need to keep our bones and muscles strong by being exposed to the sun. Our body is a marvellous, marvellous wonder. And one of the greatest things is this remarkable ability to heal itself. My car breaks down. It cannot heal itself. I kick it, you know. The the tyre is flat. I kick it. It's not going to pump itself up. It's just not going to happen. You know, just hit it and it'll start. No, it's not going to work. Yeah, gearbox is gone. The you know, engine loses compression. Why, why can't you heal yourself? Not going to happen, guys. And yet our bodies, have, uh, yeah, we have all these fierce, fighting, soldier-like cells which go about clotting the blood so that it does, we don't bleed to death. It destroys viruses and cancer so that we're not overcome by them. But we also know that since the fall, our bodies have a use-by date and eventually death. Jesus did not just come to bring physical healing, which is only temporary, but more importantly, spiritual, which is permanent and eternal. On one occasion, you remember the story, they brought a a paralysed man to Jesus was on a stretcher and he healed him and he declared this and says, your sins are forgiven. He wasn't just going to be healed physically to be able to walk again. He was healed from his sins with eternal consequences. Isaiah tells us, by his stripes we are healed. The son of righteousness will rise and bring healing of all the hurts and the wounds which the power of darkness has inflicted us. Healing in his wings. And at Christmas time we celebrate the time when God decided to intrude upon the weak and the vulnerable and that is us. He came and and while on the outside it would appear that, you know, we're just going to be strutting through life with confidence and arrogance and all self-sufficiency, inside we are living lives of quiet desperation. We, as believers, we cannot live like that. We need to hope in Christ. 
The sooner we admit our need, our daily need of Christ's grace to keep going, the better off we will be. All that we have, all that we are, is only through the strength that it gives us. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this in action. I've, I've been to a few cattle farms overseas and, and, and here, and, and uh, it's quite a sight when calves are released from the stall. There's a, there's a burst, there's a sudden burst of energy and a euphoria, like a, like a loaded spring, that the animals appears out of nowhere, you know, just, just jumping for joy. And yeah, the sheep, the same thing, right? Spurgeon described it like this. This is what he said on this passage. He says, The calf in the stall is shut up, tied up, and, a, and with a halter at night. But when the sun rises, the calf goes forth to the pasture. The young bullock is free. So the child of God may be in bondage. The recollection of past sins and present unbelief may halter him up and keep him in the stall. But when the Lord reveals himself, he is set free. All who have believed in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, to those who have accepted his sacrifice and forgiveness, we need to leap for joy. I know, with our hips and knees and all of that, it's a bit hard. But inside of us, we just want to leap joy that Christ gives us. We have been freed, no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. We want to do the right thing. We cannot help but do the right thing. And when we do the wrong thing, we come to Christ, we seek forgiveness, He forgives us, we start again. The sun rises again. A new beginning, a new dawn. The sun of righteousness will rise. That is the message of Christmas. May God bless us.